Hey, what's going on? It's Quinn David Furness. Welcome to my show. Quinn David Furness presents the Beantown Podcast for, I don't know, let's say Friday, May 12th, 2023. If you couldn't tell already by that dead giveaway, we are recording this on May 10th, a Wednesday, 2023. We'll get into that in one second. I do want to mention uh, my name is Quinn David Furness, and this is my show, Quinn David Furness Presents, the Beantown Podcast. We are coming to you live from the north side of Chicago, where we are one of the five top 500 podcasts in the region. Basically, like on the block, I would say, I feel comfortable saying just this one block, you know, and not not like the regular one-eighth of a mile blocks, but like the, ha- <coughs> the half block, so the 16th of a mile block. That's more where I feel comfortable kind of projecting um, our numbers, our listenership numbers. One thing I do know is that we are the 112th ranked comedy podcast in the nation of Pakistan. So no, I'm not trying to compete, you know, with the global politics, the Al-Qaeda, you know, FMs and your, you know, your cricket recap, your, your AM cricket recap. AM, it's a plan words because it's an AM radio station and it's in the morning. Do they, you know, I know the U.S. does the whole, and by the way, thank you to uh, Karachi Hyderabad Kyber Pass for listening and making us the 112th ranked comedy podcast in the great nation of Pakistan. So my question is this. So in the U.S. we have AM, FM. Obviously, there's a lot of, um, you know, you, you've got the, instead of AM, not AM, FM, AM, PM. And so... But you go to other countries, of course, and it's it's like we just use the 24-hour military clock, which just happened to us when we were in Mexico. And I kind of, I get it. I understand it. Um, I'm not a huge fan personally. You're telling me dinner's at 19 o'clock. I got to do some serious mental math. But my question is, does the concept of AM, PM exist in any other countries? And there's our, our first call to action of the week. Because this one I actually don't I actually don't know. Email is beantownpodcast at yahoo.com again. That's beantown podcast at yahoo.com. I didn't expect to go here um on on this early. I didn't expect to l- want to be looking this up or I've never even thought about it. Does AM or Googling it, does AM PM exist in other countries, or does everyone else use the military clock? Or is it just Mexico that uses the military clock and everyone uses the AMPM? So here, according to Google, it says most countries around the world. Okay, let's go to Quora. Okay, everyone loves Quora. It's like Yahoo Answers, but for higher class people. Uh, Okay, so the question is, well, I got a stupid highlight banner over. Okay, there we go. Do all countries of the world use AM and PM to represent morning and afternoon? And the top answers are essentially, uh, we shouldn't have come to Quora. Everyone has their own little opinion. <sighs> Bad idea. Let's go back to world, 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 is that NL? I'll spell that for you so you can look it up yourself. I'm not joking. It's that hard to say. W-E-R-E-L-D. So it's already not a word. World. R-E-I-Z-I-G-E-R-S dot N-L, which must be New Brunswick or something with an L instead of a B. Um, so where is the 12-hour format used? Okay, so it's used in U- United States, Canada, except Quebec, 
Australia, New Zealand, and Philippines. Okay, so everyone else is 24-hour format except for those five brave patriots. So there we go. We're, I mean, look, we joke around and have fun all the time in the Beantown Podcast, but sometimes you actually learn something. If someone would have asked me, hey, you know, are plus or minus five countries in the world that use AM, PM, I would have said, I have absolutely no idea because it's one of those things where it seems like a very U.S.-centric kind of thing, and it certainly is. But it's like, are, well, are there actually other countries that do it? And the answer is there's four other countries. So there you go. We're learning something on the Beantown Podcast today. Um, one other thing I want to mention, AM, FM. I know that's not like a – that's more has to do with physics and stuff. So my question is, is there – AM and FM radio in every country. Let's look that up too. We're learning stuff today on the Beantown Podcast, which is good because the centerpiece of today's show was going to be a pop culture rundown, which I think was going to fill about 42 seconds. Um, Is there AM and FM radio in other countries? Maybe there's, maybe North Korea developed a third frequency. Maybe there's AM, FM, well, there's XM radio. Maybe there's like an NKM radio, excuse me. Do different countries. Oh, back to Quora. Here we go. And Wikipedia just has a whole list of, let's go to this. This is a Wikipedia article for list of AM stereo radio stations. So this is just, just every single radio station across the world. So there's a, there's a couple Canada. Apparently there's only three AM radio stations in Canada. That can't be right. There's a lot in Philippines, one in South Korea, one in Panama, three in Japan. Let's go to U.S. here. We can fact check this. I mean, there's got to be way more than this. You know, there's no way this is right. There's a, there's a gazillion AM radio stations. Okay, what what article am I on? Transmitting in C-Q-U-A-M stereo, whatever that means. Qu- compatible quad quadrature amplitude modulation i feel like i am back in physics class and i absolutely hate it we're going to leave this where it is right now and we're going to mention that listener discretion is advised when you are listening to the beantown podcast number one will occasionally some language number two this podcast is objectively terrible i still have nightmares occasionally about physics and i don't really get nightmares about other classes but it is you know it's it's very clear that these nightmares are like traumatic um relivings because the only you know people talk about getting nightmares about you know school all the time and you know high school especially and all that fun stuff and whatever the only nightmares i really ever have that are school related were the classes that were particularly traumatic for me so those were any rockford christian classes math math for three years and then physics the last year for just a whole litany of reasons and occasionally grad school because I would go show up to grad school classes without having done pretty much any of the reading or preparation, depending on the class. Um, not solely, I was going to say not because, but it's well, let's say not solely because I'm just lazy, but um, just because I just kind of battering rammed my way through grad school. Working 40 hours a week and taking classes at night it just uh it was a unique combo uh to cap off the the kind of opening the intro to our episode the reason we are recording 
and then we'll jump into it. This will not be a long episode. It's it's just I I I just got home from work, and uh, looking forward to. I've worked very late the last two nights downtown. Looking forward to just kind of putting my feet up, turning on the baseball game. Uh, although the Cubs have just been an absolute travesty to watch lately. They haven't won since last Saturday, I suppose, Wednesday today. They're also this is their 17th straight day with a game, I think, so it's been just brutal on them. We went to the game uh, on Sunday. It was 14 innings, which is not supposed to happen with the new rules where you start every half inning uh, beginning in the 10th inning with a ghost runner, a man on second and no outs. I think there were two innings. It was, you know, like the... The, the 10th and the 13th or something where the Marlins scored one in the top and then the Cubs scratched one out in the bottom to keep the game going, but they could never get two. And then the Marlins finally scored one. Top of 14th, Cubs lost, whatever. But it was just an exhausting game. It was going very fast. It was got to the bottom of the ninth. Cubs hadn't scored at all. They were down a couple of runs, and it was like two hours in. We were like, all right, well, we're just going to kind of finish this kind of crappy game to watch, and then we'll go do something else at you know 3.30, whatever it was. And then the game ended up going for another 90 minutes, an extra inning. So that was that was a lot to watch. But we're recording on a Wednesday. Uh, we are. I am flying to just me, myself, and I flying to Texas. Austin Bergstrom. I don't know who Bergstrom was. Maybe they meant Lance Berkman is a, a, a typo, an Austin, a Houston legend rather. Maybe he's from Austin. I don't know. We're flying to go celebrate the PhD. Hooding ceremony, H O O D I N G. I was going to say knighting, but I think they prefer hooding down there with you know all the KKK stuff. Of uh, brother of the podcast, Walter Furness, uh, who def- successfully defended his his dissertation all the way back in uh, December, I think it was. Rachel and I were in Saugatuck. We had just come back from. I guess we must have gone to breakfast or brunch or something like that. Oh, we went to our, our little coffee shop. Sister-in-law of the podcast, Nicole, who I am almost positive is not a frequent listener of this program. Uh, it's a place she knows as well. And I can't remember exactly what it's called right now. But if you're ever in downtown Saugatuck, let's just look it up now for the listeners. We had just come back from there. I'll finish saying what I'm trying to say. Uh, so we're I'm flying down there tomorrow night, Thursday night. Uncommon Coffee Roasters, is that it? I think that's what it is, Uncommon Coffee Roasters. That's the place where I got a a latte with half and half instead of just regular milk or cream or whatever they use in a latte. Milk, I guess, steamed milk. I got steamed half and half, and it was basically a hot milkshake, which I wasn't complaining about too much. We're going to celebrate, the uh, The family's going to celebrate Walt's successful uh, earning of his Ph.D., and it'll be it'll be nice. I haven't been down to Austin for many years, definitely pre-COVID. Excuse me, I don't even remember exactly when it was, but it's been a while. I haven't been to Texas in a while in general, which is just kind of a thank God, kind of sort of a blessing not in disguise kind of thing, but willing to go down for family for about three days. So going down there late Thursday night, I think I had the last flight out of Midway, and then coming back early Sunday morning to celebrate uh, Mother's Day with future mother-in-law of the podcast, Betty Ramos, who um, is now on Instagram. Let's let's do our Instagram plug of the week. This week's account, Betty Ramos, who is new to Instagram. So if you want to go give her a follow, go to Betty Ramos 1966. That must be the year that her mom was born, I guess. I don't know. But 
shout out to Betty and shout out to Bobcha and shout out to all the Bobchas out there. Bobcha was uh, the kind of inspiration behind a Jeopardy question. You know, the answer was Bobka. It was a bakery related question, which speaking of which, then we're going to jump into our stuff here. The Jeopardy is on for 90 minutes every night this week in our household. So the cra- and here's the crazy thing. I'm, I'm surprised they did this. So they're continuing their regular games just one after another, and there's actually currently a champion. Oh, I got it. I got to just briefly recap this game from last night. Tuesday night, May 9th. It's a four-day champion. She's a data scientist from Chicago. It's kind of quirky, but also just like you can tell she's just like a genuinely nice person and super smart, uh, but kind of like has like a low voice and like kind of crazy hair, um, but she's just – she seems nice. So she's from Chicago. She's won her fourth game on Monday. She's playing for five yesterday, and there's a lady in the middle who is just as kind of st- – weird is not the word I want is at all, but I guess quirky – uh, it's like the positive form of weird, right? Very unique. This lady ends up getting right up in this this uh, returning champion's grill, figuratively, going into final jeopardy. She's only basically it's not a runaway, okay? So this person is is behind them by less than fifty percent of the the champ score. So the champ has a lead. It's a big lead. It's I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say it's something along the lines of twenty two thousand to thirteen thousand. So when you're in this situation and Jeopardy fans out there will know this, this is like the number one most obvious rule or I guess two rules they go hand in hand of Jeopardy. It doesn't get more simple than this. When you are in the lead and you, it's not a runaway, meaning you don't have more than double your next opponent's score. You bid enough, regardless of anything else, because you come to Jeopardy, you play to win. You get to be on once in your life, and there's a lot of money on the line. You play to win, okay? And so, in a, in a single game. Now, fans will say, well, what about Matt Amodio's wager against James Holtzauer in the Masters tournament, which we'll talk about in a second? Completely different because that's a tournament format. It's not one game winner take all that sort of thing, um, and it worked out for Matt. He played some some good odds. It was weird at the time to see though, like the wager that he played to lose. Okay, back to the regular game last night. So this lady, all she has, the lady in the lead. If she gets it right, it's over. And so the the only wager you can do in that situation from the lead is to wager enough to beat your opponent by one dollar. That way you minimize your losses if you get it wrong and you maximize, you're not maximizing your winnings because you're not betting at all, but would you rather have in this hypothetical situation, whatever the math I did was $26,001 or risk going home or risk getting you know $44,000 or whatever the math is. And it's, I, I don't know, for me personally and for 99.9% of Jeopardy players who play, uh, they'll take the the guaranteed money, if you will. Now, it's not guaranteed because you, you have to get it right first. But you play to win the game, as Herm Edwards once said. That's the thing, the, the overarching statement here. You get to Jeopardy, you're in a position to win. You play those odds. You play to win. You bet on yourself, okay? So this lady did everything she was supposed to do, the lady in front, except she missed final Jeopardy, okay? So... In theory, she misses the lady who is in second place is, you know, 13000 to 22000 something like that. She has to bid enough, no matter what, to beat 
the champion in the event that the champion misses it. And so the most that the, or the least the champion could go down if they, or if the, the person in the lead goes down if they, if they miss it is $0. So you have to bet enough to cover their current score by $1. It's, a, it's an open and shut case, no questions asked. That way, if you, you guarantee, if you get it right, you know, it's like, it's like the, the square, right? The number theory almost. It's like if you get it right, they get it wrong, you win no matter what, okay? If you both get it right, you're going to lose. If you both get it wrong, you're going to lose. If she gets it right and you get it wrong, you're going to lose. But you have to, you got that one kind of 25% result, right? And you got you to gotta go for that. So this, and she seemed nice enough, but I, I can't hold back because it's literally a mind-boggling there is zero explanation for this wager. She did not wager enough to cover the lady. She got it right, the second place lady, but she did not wager enough to get past the lady in front who had missed it. So basically, if if the lady in second had just written down a bigger number, she would have won. But because she went with a weak wager, which has zero, it's it's not like a, oh yeah, that's kind of an interesting backdoor strategy. If this and this and this things happen and then it works and it's all of a sudden it's brilliant. It's a zero explanation. Never in a million years would her wager work. And it's just, it wasn't, you know, a complicated third place kind of thing where it's like, oh yeah, let's break down the numbers. I guess this would make sense more than that. No, this is just the most basic fundamental wagering in jeopardy and we talked about that for like five minutes and i apologize but if you haven't go watch final jeopardy from may 9th tuesday uh 2023 of this week it is mind-boggling so our champion hannah is going for win number six today wednesday may 10th she's good but she's far from infallible so we'll see how that goes but jeopardy masters which is hosted by ken I can't even, I'm not even going to try to start to explain the tournament format, but essentially they brought back six people, all from, you know, very recent players, uh, with the exception of Holzhauer, who's probably, what, four or five years old at this point. Matt Amodio, Sam Buttry, Matea Roach, Amy Schneider, Andrew He, and James Holzhauer. There's six of them. They play two games every night. So, you know, three, and then the other three play a different game. They keep mixing and matching the combos. There's a certain number of sort of regular season games, if you will, and it's uh, three points for a win, one point for second, zero points for third. So after a certain point, they will uh, determine, I don't know if they're going to a semifinals or straight to a finals. I don't know exactly how this works. There's all sorts of tiebreakers. I read through the format once uh, on Monday morning and was particularly uh, uh, convoluted is how I felt that the instructions were that's not i didn't feel convoluted but my brain cells did i felt bamboozled i felt uh confused i guess is the most simple word we can use c-o-n-f-u-s-e-d let's give a shout out to our sponsors here home pride oregon when you need your home inspected in central oregon by the way my, my i'm pulling for mad Modio. my money is on james holtzauer um in the final jeopardy in that the the second game of last night uh, so the fourth game total in the tournament was absolutely bonkers as well because James and Matt were tied for first going into final, which is just nuts. 
Uh, our sponsor is Home Pride Oregon. When you need your home inspected in Central Oregon, call someone safe, certified, someone you can trust. Call Steve at 541-410-0316 or go to homeprideoregon.com or email homeprideoregon at gmail.com. You got a litany of options there. I think that's the second time we've used that word. L-I-T-T-A-N-Y. That's homeprideoregon at gmail.com. When you need it, uh, oh, we just restarted. Just hit the the reset button there. Let's go on to our friends Cuts by Q. When you need a fresh youth, something snappy or new, call the experts at Cuts by Q. We now do hot stones, cold stones, facials, uh, Brazilian butt waxes, the facials where they do your hoo-ha, whatever they call that. Uh, so we're doing all of it here uh, at our home studio, Cuts by Q, one of the top independent barbershops on the north side of Chicago. When you need a fresh do something snappy or new, call the experts at Cuts by Q or email us, cutsbyq at yahoo.com. And, of course, a good friends, the Samson Q2U series, Old Testament, New Testament, First Kings, Second Kings. It doesn't matter. Whatever floats your boat, Samson will be there along the way with you for an audio experience that you'll treasure forever. Guys, you got you got a lot of you got a lot of key core memories, great moments in life that you want to treasure forever. What better way to memorialize those than having walking around with a great Samson Q2U series? Comes with an excellent USB cord. It's got to be at least I don't know three feet, something like that, a meter. Uh, you know, it, whether you're holding onto a Mac that it's plugged into, like I do, or literally anything that would be more convenient. Uh, Samson. When God speaks, he uses a Samson. All right, we got through those, and I bet you can't believe this, but I didn't really go off a script there, which I know. You're like, whoa, Quinn, you are, you're dynamite. You're a pro. You know, no misspeaks. No, you know, it was exactly the way it was supposed to sound. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, our palindrome of the day is going to be by far the most disappointing palindrome of the day we've had so far because I was on my run today and I realized I got a wonky schedule tomorrow with work and then coming home. My flight's at uh, 9.55 out of Midway. So it's just like I didn't want to get to tomorrow afternoon. I am leaving work a little bit early. Uh, but I didn't want to get there and be like, okay, I have X amount of time to pack, do what I need to do because I won't be back here until Monday night after work again. And then it's like, oh, I also have to do a podcast. I just didn't want to cram myself in that way. I was like, Wednesday, we'll make it work. But then the the classic issue here is we're about 280 episodes into the Beantown podcast is, okay, what do we actually discuss? And I said, well, there's been some great pop culture stories and just stories in general more than a regular right on cue episode would cover. So let's jump into that. So then I was like, pop, I didn't even have to think about my palindrome of the day. It's probably the lowest hanging fruit you'll ever find. Excuse me, until we do poop next week uh, for our bowel movement, our salute to the duodenum. <laughs> but put that one in writing, our salute to the duodenum. I'm pretty proud of that, actually. Today's palindrome of the day is pop. Uh, we are going to give you a little pop culture rundown. I wrote pop culture roundup. It could be a rundown. It could be a roundup. And then we're going to finish with our trivia question, which is a very straightforward, not complicated. You either got it or you don't. But there's also six parts kind of question uh, that is Texas themed. 
Uh, so our pop culture roundup or rundown. So first on the agenda that I just I took a couple notes here. I have six different things, uh, and I'm just jumping around uh, based off of how I feel. So yesterday we saw the first images of Jen Shaw in prison ever since uh, she reported, which was back in what, like, it feels like it's been a while, but I think it's only been since like February, March, something like that. Maybe, maybe January. I don't really remember. I think it was after the holidays for sure. Um, Yeah, because Coach Shaw was like in the Rose Bowl and stuff. So yeah, it was definitely like January or February, I think. Apparently, according to her publisher, she's doing very well. The image was, you know, from the outside fence and stuff. She looked kind of glamorous, actually. It wasn't... Now, she's wearing the huge windshield sunglasses, so it's hard to tell, like, if she was actually dolled up. But sometimes you get, you know, and you, you take these housewives that exist naturally in the wild with just coats and coats of makeup... And then you put them in a situation like this, sometimes they'll look real, I don't want to say rough, I think that that could be offensive, but just very different, right? Different than what you are used to seeing them as 98% of the time. Uh, that these Now, these images were not crystal clear quality, they were from the side, she had her sunglasses on, but she looked... She looked good, okay? Let's just put it that, uh, leave it at that. So Jen Shaw, first images from prison. Again, she's serving like a six-ish year prison sentence, although I feel like Jen Shaw is going to be a good prisoner. I What I mean when I say that is I think Jen Shaw is actually extremely smart. Um, I think, you know, she knew everything that was going on with all of her, you know, legal troubles, and I think she, I think she likes to play a delusional character on TV for entertainment purposes. And no one's going to claim that it's not entertaining to sort of watch. I think Jen Shah is, I don't think she's like a nuclear physicist or anything, but I think she's very savvy. Okay. Let's say that I'll redact smart, replace it with savvy. So the reason I say that is she can get out with, you know, good behavior in like four years and 10 months or something like that. I think something like that is going to happen. I think she's going to serve the minimum amount. Speaking of prison, we have George Santos arrested today in federal court on 13 counts. I don't know. Let's go to CNN real quick. Let's just try to get a quick jump on this because I was following along a little bit this morning um, about, you know, what exactly was going on. You know, because, look, George Santos has been in the news for a while. Uh, shout out to my aunt, uh, Anna Ogunike, who was all over this story from the get-go. I think back when he was like in, you know, when he was an undergrad at Harvard or something, she was all over this guy. So she's been following him for 20 years. He's a Long Island congressman, an extraordinary trail of falsehoods. Uh, We've talked about him on the show once or twice before. So, uh, so Santos is accused of funneling contributions meant to support his campaigns into his personal bank accounts from where it was spent on luxury clothes and paying off debt. That's one of those things. I, look, I, I am not in politics, and I'm not in any place of power. I'm not a celebrity or anything like that. But that's one of those crimes with campaign finances and stuff. It just seems so stupid. Not because you know, you're know you not using the money for something that's important to you. Obviously, these designer clothes and watches, whatever, like George really wanted them. But how how. I guess just like blinded or arrogant can you be to think, oh, yeah, I've got all this these campaign contributions. Let's just throw them into the personal bank account so we can buy some luxury shoot, luxury suits. Like to me, and maybe it's just everyone has a different conscience. I don't know. But 
that's a very firm line where it's like once you cross that, you know you're a shit crick without a paddle. And it's very likely only a matter of time before you get caught. And I don't know, you know, maybe maybe the catch rate on campaign finance fraud is not as high as I think it is, but it just seems really stupid. Um, okay, so also uh, he, and this is all just allegations, right? We here at the Beantown Podcast are not accusing George of anything. We're just sitting and watching with our pop culture roundup. Prosecutors also allege he fraudulently applied for and received COVID-related unemployment benefits while receiving a six-figure salary working for an investment firm. That's just, I know we just said the last thing was really stupid. This takes it to a whole nother level. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to be earning a six-figure salary and have it even cross your mind to be like, oh yeah, let's get some, let's get some COVID unemployment benefits. My base salary just recently went past 60, Okay. And I got a lot of other side hustles going on. So, no, I'm not starving here in the expensive city of Chicago. But even I am not stupid enough to be like, oh, maybe we could squeak some unemployment benefits passed. So there's some other things going on here. We're not going to read the whole article. Regardless, 13 federal counts he was arrested on. That is uh, seems like a lot, and it's a very unlucky number. So Godspeed, George. Uh, finishing up with this prison thing, um, I learned, and will this be very quick? So I don't really have anything else to say about it. But apparently, Osama bin, bin Laden, you know, he has like twenty five kids. It's not; it's somewhere between twenty and twenty six, according to the Wikipedia page that I was down the rabbit hole on this morning on my commute. But apparently, he has like seven wives, or had seven wives, and currently has like. At, at minimum 20 to 26 kids just running around the Middle East, Iran, Pakistan, shout out. Maybe maybe Osama Jr., and I don't mean to make light of this situation, but maybe Osama Jr. is a fan of the Beantown Podcast. I am not really going to take a position on that, you know, with the whole Al-Qaeda and the 3,000 deaths at 9-11 sort of thing. Um, so I'm just going to say that... Um, you know, if you're a bad guy, if you're a terrorist, then we don't need your listens. Okay. But if you're like an upstanding Pakistani, or I guess, uh, Osama was a Saudi Arabian. He was a, he was an Arabian Saudi. Then, uh, and you know, maybe you're just like a nice guy. Maybe you're assistant director of law admissions at Karachi college of law or something. Then, Hey, you know, it's it's hard to escape our past sometimes, OJ. I get it. That could be applied to more than one people. Uh, three more items on our pop culture roundup before we get to trivia here. There's been some Little Mermaid pushback. If you remember the uh, when the original Sonic the Hedgehog trailer came out, whatever that was, it was like a 2020 movie, something like that, and they made a second one, um, which maybe came out. I don't know. But there was a lot of issues with, like, not issues, but they made some bold choices and decisions with, like, the eyes and the animation and stuff. Well, Disney's, quote, live-action Little Mermaid, which, look, don't call it live-action unless you're actually going to the aquarium or you're doing a James Cameron deep-sea mission and you're actually getting great footage of King Triton. In I'm talking real-life stuff, not your CGI crap. Talking in the wild, King Triton. I'm talking uh, a flounder. I'm talking a lobster. Look, and I understand why Disney's doing what they do. What they do, 
if you see a lobster in real life, he's not quite as fun and playful as um, whatever the lobster's name is in uh, Little Mermaid. But it's like Rafi or uh, Rafiki. No, it's the baboon from Lion King. Tony? Is it Tony? Lobster. I don't think it's Tony. Lobster, Little Mermaid. Let's see. Um, it's Sebastian. <laughs> this first, okay, the first hit when you Google Lobster to Little Mermaid is from Screen Rant. It says, is Little Mermaid Sebastian a crab or a lobster? And if you look at it, it's kind of fair because it's kind of got the crabby claws, a little pinchy, pinchy, pinchy action. But yeah, I don't know. They did this with the Lion King too, where all of a sudden they're like, Lion King live action. And uh, yeah, it's just a different kind of animation and you throw like one or two humans in there. Even even the main character has to be partially animated, right? Mermaids don't exist outside of Copenhagen. Uh, Javier Bardem. It's basically a No Country for Old Men sequel. He's playing King Triton there. I also want to give myself just a morsel, nothing more, nothing less of credit for sitting here and remembering that the name of the father figure, the underwater sea king in Little Mermaid, is King Triton without any sort of Googling or looking up. I think I've legit never actually sat down and watched The Little Mermaid, and I certainly have never read it. Is it one of those... Is it one of those uh, Hans Christian Andersons that is like 20 pages, or is it actually a novel? Let's see. We're going to look this up. We're learning. I'm so proud of myself, and I hope that you're proud of yourselves, too, for listening to today's installment. You probably see the episode title, which I have yet to title, as Pop Culture Roundup, and you're thinking, oh, geez. Uh, It's a fairy tale. Yeah, I shouldn't have known that. You're thinking, oh, geez, we're not going to learn anything. This is going to be stupid. But how many pages is uh, The Little Mermaid actually, or how long is it? Probably not very long, right? Um, The Little Mermaid, what if if we Google The Little Mermaid read online? I wonder, something I never thought about, I wonder how close the Disney sort of animated adaptation is to the actual story. So if you go read The Little Mermaid online, it's probably going to take you like 15 minutes to read, something like that, I would guess. So it's pretty short. They stretch a 15-minute fairy tale into a you know, 90-minute Disney movie. And then, of course, the, the live-action, in quotes, Disney movie version will be two hours with all new songs, uh, great new Javier Bardem backstory, and even more flounder action. So... Little Mermaid, a little bit of pushback. Jacob Tremblay, who is that little kid from that movie about the the one kid with the sort of brain tumor. His head was kind of... Or no, it wasn't a brain tumor. His face was just kind of weird. That's Jacob Tremblay. What was the name of that movie? Was it... I'm doing a lot of Googling today on the Beantown Podcast, but that's okay. If this were... If we were doing this podcast in the 1880s, we'd have to be doing... uh, encyclopedia browns and stuff jacob tremblay he was in uh the uh, room right the one with uh brie larson where she won the oscar and then he was in wonder that's what it was called yeah it might be a true story i'm not sure i don't think it is but he's got some sort of disease took a lot of makeup and then he was in uh, there's something else he was in recently that i thought he was in a live action film recently that was relatively well-known but perhaps not i don't know he uh he played baby 
Oh, you guys are going to love this. Uh, one second. He played, uh, like, he was in Dr. Sleep, uh, that uh, sequel to The Shining. Okay, so while we're on the topic, uh, and very briefly on the topic of Jacob Tremblay's filmography, Wikipedia, I only mention this because I think you'll enjoy this. In 2016, he starred in Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal, the movie, as Kid 4. I'm not kidding. This is... Oh, okay. I remember this. It's been a while. So this was a 2016 parody film from Funny or Die, and this was the one where Johnny Depp played Trump. Um, I have only seen clips, and I'm not going to pretend to be able to explain it. You're just going to have to go look, look at the Wikipedia, watch some clips. But some of the, some of the um, people or characters that are in the movie. So Ron Howard as himself, Johnny Depp as Donald Trump. Kristen Shaw uh, as Trump's receptionist. You know her from Bob's Burgers and 30 Rock. Patton Oswalt as Merv Griffin. Um, Henry Winkler is in it. Rob Hubel, Paul Shear, Alfred Molina, Ron Funches, Andy Richter. This is ridiculous. Michaela Watkins plays Ivana Trump. Stephen Merchant is in it. This is uh, Paul Fusco plays Alf. Jack McBrayer is in it. Of course, Jacob Tremblay, Kid 4, and then Christopher Lloyd reprising his role as Doc Brown. This is just, I, re- I remember it came out in 2016. It was like, a, a, I would call, call it like a minor pop culture thing when it came out, which is appropriate for today's topic. But yeah, it's, I had forgotten. When I saw that, I was like, I have no idea what this is. Um, I thought it was like an old movie or something. Then I realized Jacob Tremblay is like 11 years old, so can't be that old. Uh, two more items here. There's a new Vanderpump Rules episode on uh, tonight, I think. Maybe last night. Maybe it's Wednesdays. I don't know. Uh, but there's a whole big thing going on with... Um, so Kate used to be married to um, one of the um, Toms, Tom Schwartz, I think. And then there's this British kid who used to be married to Raquel, I think. And there's this guy with a mustache named Sand Tom Sandoval. They're the two one of the two of the main characters are named Tom. So there's Tom Schwartz and Tom Sandoval. Tom Sandoval has a mustache now. And Tom Sandoval and Tom Schwartz are starting a restaurant, but not really, just kind of. The main character, or it's named after Lisa Vanderpump. She's not really in the show anymore. She used to be on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She has a website, or a website, probably. She has a restaurant that is now closing down in Beverly Hills where all these people on the cast used to be waiters, so now they're going to be homeless, which is kind of interesting, you know, kind of a neat twist. And so Tom Sandoval is married to this lady named Ariana... And um, Kate is now divorced from the British guy. I don't know his name. It's like Chester or, you know, Jazwith or something. And then the other Tom, Tom Schwartz, is used to be married to Raquel, but he's not anymore. But oh no, he was married to someone else. But then he was kissing Raquel, and everyone was watching. And then there was Tom Sandoval, who was married to Ariana. And then he was 
um, and no one really knew, but for like 25 years, I think he was hooking up with Raquel, who's kind of the worst. And now there's going to be a big, and now a lot of people are broken up. And now that tonight there's going to be a big fight between Kate and Raquel. So that's the Vanderpump Rules update. And our last pop culture tidbit, Glenn and Sydney and the other guy. So apparently Glenn is with this nobody and Sydney uh, Sweeney is an actress from um, Emporium and uh, Euphorium, sorry, Euphonium. And Sydney's married to this mechanic, I think, in real life, not in Euphorium. And now... Glenn, they were in a movie together, Top Gun 2 or something, and uh, Glenn's wife left him. I don't even know Glenn's name. It's not Glenn Davis. That's Big Baby from the Celtics. Go watch some of his highlights. That guy was huge. And Sydney's husband, I think, is still with him, but he left the house with all their belongings and a dog that's kind of come into the picture recently. But Glenn and Sydney said they're not together, but they're still, like, hanging out at Laguna Beach and stuff uh, or Verona Beach or any of Huntington Beach, Manhattan Beach, Anaheim, any of those beaches. So that's basically what's going on with Glenn and Sydney. Okay, so there's your uh, pop culture roundup of the week. And let's finish off. I mentioned a very simple six-part trivia question here. It's not really six parts. There's just six answers. And you only get full credit if you get all six. I will recognize partial credit with a verbal commendation, but I will not award any points towards our year-end prize, which is uh, TBA at this point. Okay, so very simple question. I'm flying to Texas tomorrow. I want you to tell me what were the actual six flags over Texas. So while you're thinking about that, a very short history lesson. Uh, So you all are familiar with Six Flags, the theme park franchise. It's not just a random name. It's uh, named after the Six Flags over Texas, which are the six nations in history that have actually ruled. And we're not counting Native Americans, uh, which is just a travesty, but I don't control the question. Uh, that who are the six nations that have actually ruled the territory of Texas or just Texas as a place, however you want to classify it. Don't get semantical on me, S-E-M-A-N-T-I-C-A-L. It's a classic question. It's one of my favorite trivia questions of all time. I think about it frequently. I've only been to Six Flags once. It was Six Flags Great America and old, good old Gurney, G-U-R-N-E-E. Okay, so if you still need more time, great but I'm going to reveal the answer. The Six Flags over Texas. I'll give you the years, too. Number one, Spain from 1519 to 1685. Semicolon, 1690 to 1821. Then France. I think like France is probably the hardest one to get here. France, excuse me, for five years from 1685 to 1690. And then um, Mexico from 1821 to 1836. A lot of you probably know that one. Uh, This is a fun one that a lot of people forget about. The Republic of Texas. It was its own independent nation state from 1836 to 1845. The United States from 1845 to 1861 slash or semicolon 1865 to present. And then finally, 
if you were listening along with the years and you haven't figured out the sixth one yet, you would figure it out based off of 1861 to 1865 gap. CSA, the Confederate States of America from 1861 to 1865. So again, what, who, which nations actually are represented by the Six Flags over Texas? It is Spain, France, Mexico, the Republic of Texas, the United States, and the Confederate States of America, all sovereign states at certain points throughout history. Apparently... I don't know. I don't know which Native American like what are what were the big tribes that lived in Texas before um, Spain came along. Native last thing on the Bean Town podcast today. Native American tribes, Texas, because I feel like we hear a lot about the Southeast, you know, Cherokee and stuff, and um, Seminoles, and you hear a lot about the Southwest, whether it's your Comanches, your Apaches. Your, uh, there's other ones, and I, I, in full disclosure, I'm about 75% of the way done with my whiskey, so not doing well here mentally. Um, but you don't really hear about Texas that often. So here is, according to Wikipedia, just some of the historical ones. So Apache were in there. The uh, Biloxi, the Comanches... The I'm just trying to think of big names here, okay? The Sumas and the Wichita. I never knew Wichita was actually a tribe. I always just thought it was like an Indian name. I learned something new uh, among many things. I'm, I learned a lot of things on the Bean Town Podcast today. I can't do a recap because I can't remember everything, but we learned a lot about AM, FM radio stations. We learned about AM, PM time. We learned Wichita was an Indian tribe. We learned a lot of pop culture things. We learned about that crazy cast in the Donald Trump movie they made. So very informative show here on the Beantown Podcast. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, congratulations to brother of the podcast, Walter Furness, on his big hoodwinking ceremony. And I'm looking forward to seeing all of you in about 10 days here, nine days here. Uh, and thank you to everyone who tuned in last week for our horse name special, Kentucky Derby. Congratulations to Mage on a big win. Two fills just missed out the Chicago kid. That's what I got for you. Let's play some outro music here, everyone. I hope you stay safe. I hope you stay sane. I will check in on you next week. Bye.